another episode of the Exploring Art Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I'm your host, Imani, and I am delighted to have Lana and Alejandro. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Exploring Art Podcast. The gardens of the 18th century England, in contrast to modern day gardens, had distinct characteristics such as an absence of flowers and an abundance of temples, follies, and grottoes. The intentions of the gardens were not only to please the sense of its audience, but to grasp the mind of that person and convey a deep message. As a result of the variety of architectural influences, the term reading a garden had been used to help describe the experiences that these landscapes provided. Okay, so Lana, like, what do you think about our gardens? Like, how do you view them from your perspective? For me, I think that gardens are very beautiful, but I also think that it's based on like your personal interpretation of the garden when you're there. Okay, and Alejandro, what do you think about them? I think it just depends on when and where you see them. If you've been having a good day, bad day, you can see them differently. Okay, I definitely agree because it also like depending on how like your mood is before you go to a garden, you can be there at peace or you can be there like after a bad day and you want to have that serenity after. So it depends how like your mood is before and after you see the garden. I agree with that. Okay, so Lana, like what do you think about gardens? Like how do you view them in your life, like from your perspective? For me, I think that gardens are really beautiful, but I also think that it depends on people's interpretations of when they're at the garden. Okay, I agree. And Alejandro, what do you think about how you view a garden? I think it just depends on when you see them and where you see them. Okay. If you've been having a good day or a bad day. Okay, I agree. Um, it also depends like, if you're looking for peace or if you already came there in peace. Like, If you're having a bad day or you're going there just because you for example, want to do homework, or you just want to sit there and just think about life. It just depends how you go into the garden. Yes, I agree with that. Turn it off. Turn it off. Oh my Are you recording? God. Speaking of gardens, um, one of my favorite eras of gardens would have to be like the 18th century because they were known for like their formal and their symmetrical designs. They had geometric shapes like squares and rectangles and they were decorated with like fountains and statues. Um, but they were also supposed to be like viewed from a distance um, to give the person like a better perspective and people would like walk along the paths and they would say like you would have like a panoramic view of how you saw the garden. Uh, they were also used for like entertaining um, just because of like the layout and the architectural designs people would host like parties and like social events so and with that century more people gathered together so a garden would probably make sense for them to have like their maybe like their wineries or like any type of like family events, stuff like that. So to go off of that, my favorite garden would actually be the one that was designed by William Kent Stowe in Buckinghamshire, England. Um, it was one of the most famous and influential gardens actually in the 18th century and was designed um, as like a series of outdoor rooms and each of them had their own unique like purpose which was really cool for people to see because um, then they had like could make their own perspective of each of these individual rooms. 
Um, they were also, they had a lot of different like structures, which would be like temples, statues, or fountains. And those were um, placed throughout the, the landscape to make more of like a dramatic um, view. Another one would probably be like the Temple of Ancient Virtue. Um, that was located in Italy. It was in Rome. It was technically dedicated to the goddess of wisdom, which is Minerva. So the temple was usually known for like its beautiful architecture and was considered like a masterpiece of Roman art, probably also because of the time that it was constructed in. And Unfortunately, it was destroyed like in the 16th century, but the ruins are still there today and the history behind it still remains. Um, it was surrounded by like lush gardens, so you have like your plants probably in your flowers and everything like that. And it complemented the temple's architecture as well, so it probably brought in like a lot of tourists, you had a lot of serenity with that, and it just brought you a lot of peace when you went over there. Sounds awesome. Another temple to talk about, which is one that I think is really cool, is the Temple of Vesta at Tivoli. Um, it was actually located in Tivoli, Italy, and was dedicated to the goddess of Hearth Vesta. Um, it was very much known for its circular design and was actually considered a huge masterpiece of Roman architecture. Um, it was also very famous because of its beautiful location. Um, if you were like at the temple, it overlooked the Anine River which surrounded the countryside, which honestly I would have loved to see because I think that would be really cool to like hear the river and be at this like beautiful temple. Um, sadly today only few ruins remain of the temple, even though it is still considered a very important historical site. And then going back to the Temple of Ancient Virtue, it was circular, domed, and surrounded by 16 ionic columns. By making the temple round, William Kent chose one of the purest, most symbolic architectural forms to house a shrine to four exemplary ancient Greeks, the general Epaminondas, the lawmaker Lycurgus, the philosopher Socrates, and the epic poet Homer. This might be seen to symbolize the decline of the ancient virtues in the modern era, but by the 1730s, Cobham had already thought of this. Near to this temple, he also commissioned a temple of modern virtue. This was conceived from the beginning as a ruin and has since decayed so badly that there are only a few traces left. Walls poking out of the soil here and there and promising more evidence of what once was hidden beneath the acred earth. Talking about the four exemplary ancient Greeks, Homer is a legendary ancient Greek poet who is traditionally credited with composing two epic poems. Socrates employed a method of questioning and dialogue known as the Socratic method, aimed at stimulating critical thinking and self-examination. Lycurgus was a legendary Spartan lawgiver who is attributed with establishing the Spartan system of government and laws. He created a unique constitution that aimed to promote equality, discipline, and military prowess among the Spartans. Epaminondas was a Theban statesman and general who lived in ancient Greece during the 4th century BCE. He is best known for his military leadership and strategic innovations. He revolutionized the tactics of infantry warfare by introducing the oblique formation. 
which concentrated force on one side of the battle line to break through enemy ranks. That's actually really cool. That's a lot of stuff that I did not know about these people. Homer wrote the Elysian Plain. It was a land of perfect happiness at the end of the earth, on the ocean banks of the Oceanus. It was a place for the blessed dead. It probably was retained from known religion. To tie back into some temples and probably some style or architecture used would be um, Gothic style. It was expressed in some gardens um, as well. It had things such as pointed arches, rib vaults, and allowed for um, more elaborate buildings. It was mainly or more likely associated with religious buildings and um, things such as cathedrals and churches. It was also used though in castles, palaces, and some other public buildings. Um, but it was known for um, different stone carvings, stained glass windows, and even some sculptures, and was there to kind of bring back the medieval aesthetic in architecture and design. Queen Anne, also known as Anne Stewart, was the Queen of England, Scotland, and Ireland from the early 1700s. Um, in popular culture, she is sometimes seen as a symbol for the early 18th century and is popular for her architectural style, which is also the Queen Anne style. If you don't know what this is, it's almost, in my opinion, like houses you would see in an older horror movie, which because they had a steep roof, an asymmetrical front, and usually a pretty large porch with a darker, beautiful wood trim. Her homes were also known for their multicolor palettes, so you'll see a bunch of pinks, oranges, yellows, blues, anything bright. Um, but with these homes as well, she surrounded them with a beautiful piece of landscape architecture which you'll typically see like a flower garden, many sculpted bushes or trees, or even like the grass that grows on the exterior walls of a house or a building. But by looking at these houses, she was also trying to establish like a piece of isolation and a sense of peace because they are usually excluded from all the other homes just by the amount of scenery and um, just nature in general that surrounds each individual. Okay, so I know that was a lot of information to take in, but Lana, which one captured your attention the most out of everything? Okay, so I'd say at least my first one would be the 18th century English gardens probably, knowing like how many different like shapes and structures were in it, and the fact that it was used for like so many different things, like it could be, it was for you to just like look at and kind of feel peace and see like this beautiful view, but it was also something you could use for like entertaining and um, for like parties and social events. I think that's really cool that it had that. But I also think that to kind of go off of it, like the Gothic style and architecture is just cool to like know that that could have been used like in any of these like temples or gardens or like public buildings, but it's also probably used now to bring back um, that medieval aesthetic in architecture. So I think it's just really cool to like learn about that as well. Okay, that's pretty cool. Um, I definitely agree with that. My personal favorite would probably have to be like the Queen Anne style one, only because like I do like bright colors and I do like incorporating that with nature as well. Because like the house is kind of reminding me of like as if you were like to go outside and like do your homework or just a place you would go to to go read a book. 
no super peaceful or somewhere you would go on vacation to kind of just like disconnect from reality. Um, I really did like that and I also liked how she incorporated not only like just her garden aspect or like the nature aspect but she included it with her architectural skills and incorporated like the colors and the styles to make sure that everything flowed together and had the person like for example like viewing it from a distance like we found out earlier like just kind of like capture everything and see what it meant to them oh well for me the one that captivated more my attention was the temple of modern virtue since uh, now there's barely any traces left, uh, I would like to see how it was before. Um, and then since I'm studying civil engineering, uh, I would like to see if I, anything from before inspires me to uh, modernize some aspects from back then. And since I'm also kind of into like things from the past, I've, they just really caught my attention. That's pretty good. I also think it's pretty cool because like as a interior architect you can also see like not just designing the inside of the space but how you can like incorporate that with like the outside of the space and how you can capture the attention by the exterior not just the interior so like that really helped in learning how like even these architectures that didn't start off in just nature or like the landscape portion, they learned to use not only like those skills, they didn't just keep it there, they moved it to where they can expand their knowledge to like the audience around them. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, to kind of go off the tempo of modern virtue as well, I think it's really cool to just know that something that was like so big once, like that had such like a big impact and like so many people like looked at and things like that, um, it's so crazy to me to think like that that's just like not there anymore. So like how he said like I would love to like go back and see like how it was back then is something that I definitely like agree with. I'd want to go back and see that too to see like what it really looked like. Yeah, I think um, it, it would help a lot of people to see many of these uh, structures that aren't there. Um, it can inspire people. It can help them learn about themselves or just other people and help them connect more. Yeah, totally, I agree with that. Definitely. Okay guys, so I just wanted to ask a few questions before we close it out. Um, so like when we read or we interpret Stowe's Elysian Fields, do we unpack its message any differently than we would that of a literary text or of a painting? I think it's depend dependent upon like your personal interpretation kind of. Um, it can be perceived, I guess, as a form of like reading or literary text um, because you can communicate messages and history through like designs and structures um, and like different sculptures and stuff like that and even like inscriptions on things. Um, I think it is kind of similar to a painting because you're unpacking it based on like you're unpacking like your views and your thoughts on it based on like your own personal like thoughts and ideas compared to yes the artist or the person that designed this but it's also dependent upon like what you think um, as well just like a painting or some type of text it's your own imagination that's pretty good um, and then the second question so is reading a garden like reading a book and if so like what sorts of gardens can be read 
I believe so, yes, because you still have to understand the meaning behind the landscape of the garden. Um, just like a book, a garden is trying to convey a message. So like the Temple of Modern Virtue, it's a garden where the architect is displaying a message based on the Gothic style portrayed, and it's being constructed as a ruin rather than like your classical botanical garden. So, and some other examples that could be um, quote unquote red as a garden would be the, like Stowe, um, Rusham, and the storehead because it just depends how you view it from a distance or up close and just like your purpose for being there like we said before. Um, but yes, I do believe that gardens are like reading a book. That's really good, yeah, I like, I like that. And then, are there any limits to the kinds of messages a garden or a landscape can convey? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think it, everybody just has their own perspective of what they're viewing. They all have their own input. And um, even if like the artist like try to give a message out, even then I think it can be in interpreted um, differently between different people and then just everybody has a different view. I don't think there's a limit at all to it. Okay, so one last question. Like we asked before, how do we view gardens now that we've gone through all of our research and we know our own interpretations on how we would like to view a garden? Um, I think that it's kind of similar to like how I thought before. Um, I still think it's based on like your personal interpretation and maybe like your personal experience, like your cultural background and your understanding of the history um, and like the different like styles and like architectures. Um, so yeah, I mean, I still I view it like based on like my interpretation, but it also would help if you knew like the backgrounds of these types of things going in. So you have a better understanding of maybe the plants that are out there, the sculptures, like the inscriptions, like the different type of art that are even put into these gardens and these temples that you're going into. My view is pretty much the same. I think that everybody has a different view when looking at gardens and they just get something different from where they see it, from when they see it. I definitely agree. Uh, my view is the same. I do believe that like it also depends on like um, pretty much what you guys are saying already, but like just like your personal experiences, um, your cultural background and like I feel like not a lot of people think about it, but like also like your knowledge behind like having a garden or just knowing the purpose of a garden being in a specific area or made during a certain time, um, especially because we're talking about the 18th century. And um, also like the things that get put into a garden, like because like everyone knows like gardens have flowers, and, but like there's specific flowers, there's specific trees and like specific plants and every single one of those things have different meanings. So based on like where you come from and um, how you depict a garden, that is what basically screams at you like the minute you walk through and like how you interpret everything that's around you. Thank you for joining us today um, with Lana and Alejandro. I appreciate it. And this concludes our Exploring Art podcast. Please subscribe to the Exploring Art podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please join us soon and, and remember, remember to, to stay, stay curious. curious.